Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning. I hope everybody's having a wonderful Tuesday. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, since we started this show, people have often asked me, hey, Frank, what exactly is a life altering event? This is what I tell them it can be something we choose, or it can be something that's thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, everyone has had those aha moments that's changed your life for better or for worse. These life-altering events occur in every aspect of our professional and our personal life and in the life of our family. Now, try as we may, it is impossible to completely separate the events of our personal life from the events in our professional life. Believe me, I tried and I failed miserably for years. What what life-altering events does present us with is an opportunity to seize a moment and make a difference in our own lives and the lives of our loved ones. They are a fork in the road, and we have a choice. Now, we can choose to fall apart, or we can find the courage to pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Something I always say is, please remember this, it is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. As you listen to this show over the coming weeks and months, and hopefully years, I urge you to participate in an upcoming show. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, send me an email. Go to the Life Altering Events page on voiceamerica.com. It says email the host. Click that. Tell me what your story is. Tell me the event that changed your life so drastically, how you addressed it, where you are now, and what impact it's had on your life. We will review the content, and if it fits well, we'll contact you and put it into an upcoming show. I want to hear from you. Let's talk about these things. Today, our topic today, we're going to be discussing something called a Veterans Treatment Court. Now, for most of you, you probably have never heard of this. But we're going to talk about what it is and how it helps our veterans. Now, let me give you a little background on a veterans treatment court. As anyone who's listened to the show uh, over time knows that I am a Vietnam-era veteran. And I care very deeply about the challenges that face veterans. Most veterans are strengthened by the military service, but the combat experience that has gone on almost forever here lately unfortunately has left a growing number of veterans with a number of issues such as PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and very often substance abuse. Now here's some staggering statistics. One in five veterans has symptoms of a mental health disorder or a cognitive impairment. One in five. One in six veterans who served in Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom suffer from substance abuse. Now, the mental health experts tell us, and research continues to show, that there's a link between substance abuse and combat-related mental illnesses. If this is left untreated, 
These mental health disorders that are common among, among veterans can lead directly to involvement with the criminal justice system. Let me give you some more frightening statistics. Veteran suicides are between 20 and 22 veterans a day. 20 to 22 per day. Even with all the heightened awareness about suicide, veteran suicides have not really improved, or not, they, they have not come down. Homelessness, there's 360,000 homeless people in America, and 68,000 of them are veterans. That's one in 10. One in 10 homeless people is a veteran. 968,000 veterans live in poverty. 20,000 veterans with, with government-sponsored mortgages lost their homes in the 2010 meltdown. 76 veterans, 76% of homeless veterans experience alcohol, drug, or mental health issues. Now, it's easy to jump to conclusions and say, well, these people probably had problems before. These people are just screw-ups. Or they just lack the courage to improve. And if that's what you think, then you're wrong. Here's some, some, some surprising information about homeless veterans. 89% received an honorable discharge. Now, you don't get an honorable discharge for being a screw-up. 67% serve more than three years. They serve this country for longer than three years. 47% are Vietnam-era veterans. Now, these veterans are now in their mid-60s and 70s. 15% served before Vietnam. Once you get hit the criminal justice system, then often incarceration follows. With veteran, when these veteran issues are not treated and not addressed, they will find themselves in the criminal justice system. 181,500 veterans are incarcerated. 8% of all federal and state inmates are veterans. And 55% of, of imprisoned veterans told department researchers that they had been told that they had a mental health disorder. Now think about that. These are people who served our country and were willing to sacrifice their health, their well-being, and even their life in service to the United States. They deserve better, and they are entitled to better. Now there is hope. Treatment is the key here, not punitive action. Treatment is the best course of action. And fortunately, a Judge Robert Russell from my hometown of Buffalo, New York, launched the first of, of the nation's roughly 260 veteran treatment courts in 2008. And these are courts where veterans come that have committed a, a crime and their crime is adjudicated through the veteran treatment court. Now, the veteran treatment court is able to ensure that veterans do meet their obligations to themselves, to the court, and to their community. This is not a free pass. They have to work for this. We have today two people who have dedicated their life to protection and the service of the, of the veterans. Our first is Judge David Abbott, who presides over the Veterans Treatment Court in Sacramento, California. Now his resume reads like a who's who of the legal profession. He was a judge on the Sacramento Superior Court. He was appointed in 2001. He earned his JD from the University of Pacific McGeorge School of Law in 1973. He enlisted in the United States Marines in 1968. 
Now, let me refresh your memory here. 1968 was about the time of the Tet Offensive, when the Vietnam War was as heavy as it was going to get, and he volunteered. During his four years of active duty, he served as a second lieutenant assigned to the 1st Marine Division at Camp Pendleton and a 3rd Marine Division in Okinawa. Now, Judge Abbott, after graduating law school, spent 25 years in private practice, and he dealt with some of the most complex cases that you can find, professional and product liability, industrial accidents, insurance bad faith. Now, these are very complex. I'll give you some idea of the intelligence that Judge Abbott has. While on the bench, he's presided over criminal and civil trials, and he is the presiding judge and supervising justice in, in Sacramento. In 2016, he was named Judge of the Year by the Sacramento County Board uh, Bar Association. So, Judge Abbott, welcome to Life Altering Events. Well, thanks, Frank, uh, and thank you for that glowing introduction. Um, it makes me feel like uh, I'm better than I am. In any event, I appreciate you giving me the time to participate in your program today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. I have been in your court, and all the accolades are very well deserved. Now, Judge Abbott, given all the other duties you have, why did, why did you start the Veterans Treatment Court in Sacramento? <clears throat> well, uh, we started the Veterans Treatment Court in 2014, so we're, we just completed our fifth year. <clears throat> and at that time, uh, we were the 14th uh, court in California uh, to uh, begin a veterans treatment court. And of course, there were veterans courts all across the country, as you pointed out. The first one uh, was in Buffalo, New York. But uh, we saw a, a need for um, participation of veterans in what's generally referred to as collaborative courts. Uh, we've had drug courts and similar courts um, for a number of years. And um, we've believed it was time to include veterans in that process. So we started the Veterans Treatment Court in 2014. We have a very good uh, team consisting of the district attorney, the public defender, the Department of Probation, the VA, and a number of mentors who are also uh, veterans, uh, many of them combat veterans from Vietnam, as well as uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. But uh, our team works really well together, and I've been very impressed with what we've been able to accomplish in our Veterans Treatment Court. And I'd like to follow up on one of the comments you made, Frank, at the outset here. Um, you know, the, the notion that perhaps some of these people had problems uh, before they became, went in the military is very misplaced because if they did, they wouldn't have got in the military in the first place. Uh, what these people, these veterans are, is they, they uh, went into the military uh, maybe right out of high school, maybe after they'd had some college, but they had been living a law-abiding life and uh, by all appearances, um, a relatively healthy and grounded life. And when they came out of the military, they had problems and some of them could not overcome those problems. So um, the uh, connection between military service uh, and these uh, problems like PTSD and traumatic brain injury, substance abuse, um, clearly uh, there is a connection. And that connection must be clearly established 
or they won't qualify to become part of the Veterans Treatment Court program. Your Honor, you mentioned collaborative court. Can you explain to the listeners what's the difference between a collaborative court and and a, a general criminal court or civil court? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, Usually in a criminal proceeding, uh, somebody is tried and convicted or enters a plea of guilty or no contest, and we have a sentencing schedule. Uh, We have uh, a decision has to be made whether the person is going to be sentenced uh, to confinement or uh, whether they're going to be granted probation on certain terms and conditions. And those are the two options. And regardless of which option is selected, um, <clears throat> the person is, uh, if they go into incarceration, they spend uh, whatever time they spend um, incarcerated. They may take advantage of programs while they're in custody, but they don't have to. Uh, if they're on probation, they have to follow certain conditions. Uh, those conditions might include uh, going to certain uh, classes like anger management or uh, something regarding substance abuse, but it's a fairly uh, loosely supervised um, probation. And um, in a collaborative court, like Veterans Court, uh, we have lots of different programs available, but the the key is that this is a hands-on approach and everybody is uh, monitoring the progress of the person Um, We do a particular assessment and come up with a treatment plan, working with the Veterans Administration. We have a a Veterans uh, Justice Officer from the VA that uh, has access to all the treatment modalities and treatment professionals through the Veterans Administration and a very um, specific and um, uh, prepared treatment program is designed to address the specific problems that that veteran is experiencing. And um, we've had a great deal of success with it, but everybody works together. The DA, uh, the public defender, the judge, the department of probation, and everyone seems to be pulling in the same direction. And the goal is to rehabilitate this person, uh, address their problems, and get those problems corrected through treatment so they can return to a successful and fulfilling life. And that doesn't happen in the general criminal justice system. This is, for those of you who have never seen a veterans treatment court, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Now, the, the, my big thing when I first attended, Your Honor, was how do you get the DA, the public defender, parole, and the VA to all cooperate? Well, um, the way it's organized in Sacramento, which I think is pretty similar to other courts across the country, is um, all all parties, that means the judge, the DA, and the public defender have to agree that this person should be in veterans treatment court. So the things we consider are the nature of the offense with which the person is charged and or convicted. Um, his background in terms of uh, what his specific problems are and the likelihood that he would be amenable to treatment. Um, and of course, you know, the, the district attorney and me, as well as uh, the public defender, we um, analyze things like public safety and 
the various treatment options that are available, and we make a, an assessment as to whether this person could benefit from Veterans Treatment Court. And so um, we all have to have a, a consensus about that, or the person isn't admitted to the Veterans Treatment Court program. And so um, that's the first step. And, and when, once we make that decision and everybody's on board with it, then we're all working to see that we complete the objective and uh, get the person into the treatment programs that they need. And then we do what we need to do to keep them on the straight and narrow and uh, achieve the treatment objectives. Now, this is a, uh, it's a veterans-only docket. So the only people there are veterans. What's the major advantage you see to this, Your Honor? Well, um, it, there is a camaraderie uh, that exists among all veterans. And when you have uh, the Veterans Treatment Court, like ours in Sacramento, where the judge, that's me, I'm a veteran, uh, we have uh, uh, the veterans, uh, the mentor coordinators, and all the mentors that participate in this program are all veterans. And um, so we, you know, that gives us a rapport that you wouldn't see in other programs. And I think it's really important because um, it helps uh, engender a level of trust that is necessary for the treatment uh, program to succeed. And the, the camaraderie there is, is pretty amazing. I've, I've been in and watched it and, and observed it firsthand. Um, Your Honor, the, when, could, could you briefly describe what the four, there's a four-stage program. Could you briefly describe the four stages? Well, there's uh, phase one is when uh, the person enters the program, and at that point, uh, they, if they haven't entered a plea to the uh, charged offense or offenses, uh, that is uh, worked out, and um, the plea is entered, and um, the person is granted probation on certain terms and conditions. Uh, usually, one of the conditions of probation is confinement, uh, but that period of confinement is suspended uh, while the person is in the veterans treatment court. Um, and during that first phase, the person meets with the veteran meets with uh, the probation department, meets with the vet, uh, veterans uh, justice officer at the VA, and a treatment plan is developed. Uh, and they begin going to the various classes that they need to take to address that treatment plan. And that includes, uh, you know, a medication management assessment, whether the person should be taking medication. Um, it also includes uh, meeting with the probation department and setting up uh, a schedule. Uh, each one of these veterans is drug tested at least once a week um, on a random basis to make sure that they're not uh, using any illegal substances um, including alcohol. And um, so in the first phase, if the person gets through the first uh, three or four weeks successfully, um, they are elevated to phase two, which uh, is a further continuation of the treatment plan. Um, and we uh, monitor their progress. We monitor whether they're compliant with the terms and conditions of the treatment plan. 
And if they continue along that path and uh, graduate from some of the preliminary um, uh, classes and uh, treatment programs, um, as they get further down the road, uh, after maybe three or four months, they uh, graduate to phase three. Your Honor, can you hold that thought for one second? We have to take a short break. We'll come back and pick up with phase three. We're going to take a short break now, folks. We're going to come back. We're going to continue this conversation with Judge David Abbott, and we're going to bring in Cindy Baldwin from the California State Senate. Do not go away. You do not want to miss this segment. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back, and we are talking with Judge David Abbott from the Sacramento County. He is the, the presiding judge over the Veterans Treatment Court in Sacramento. He was describing the four-step process. He had described steps one and two, and now we're going to touch briefly on steps three and four. Veterans earn this. This is something they have to work for. Your Honor, step three. All right, thanks, uh, Frank, and I, I'll, I'll take a step backwards for a minute, and I wanted to also mention that in phase one, uh, when the person enters Veterans Treatment Court, 
we do an assessment of what their personal situation is, which includes things like whether they are homeless, whether they have a place to live, whether there are any fa- family issues. Uh, you know, if they're married with children, uh, oftentimes we have uh, issues that, uh, in addition to being involved in the criminal court, they may also have some things going on in family court. So uh, if they don't have a place to live, for example, we uh, connect them with uh, resources that gets them into somewhere where they have a roof over their head. And, uh, you know, the other issue that we have a lot of times is transportation. So we uh, do everything we can to uh, make those resources available so they can then actively pursue treatment um, in an effective way. But in phase three, uh, that's when uh, the uh, treatment plan escalates to some degree. And uh, by then they've finished the preliminary round of treatment. Uh, They've uh, usually completed uh, what we call ARTS, which is addictive and rehabilitative um, therapy. Uh, And if they have something like uh, traumatic brain injury or uh, post-traumatic stress, oftentimes um, there's an, uh, an advanced uh, treatment plan and advanced treatment facilities where they will be assigned, uh, which may even include a residential treatment, to uh, address these issues in a way that's uh, often intense and very challenging for the veteran. But um, they'll pursue those treatments in phase three, and they will uh, advance uh, from there to phase four, which uh, gets them on the path to uh, a successful completion of the treatment program, uh, where they demonstrate uh, that they've really got control of things and they're on the way to a good recovery. Uh, At each phase, when they move on to the next phase, Um, There's a formal recognition of that during our Veterans Treatment Court session, and um, everyone usually gives them a round of applause. We have uh, gift cards to places like Walmart and Starbucks uh, where they are given a gift card and they can get something a little extra uh, for them or their family. Um, So it's always each bit of progress is always recognized and then we have a lot of encouragement that uh, is handed out to keep people uh, on track. So um, when they enter phase four and they successfully get through phase four, um, they're scheduled for graduation. Uh, at the graduation ceremony, um, we uh, read a uh, citation about uh, summarizing their military service and um, then uh, summarizing their treatment experience. Uh, And oftentimes that summary of their treatment experiences highlights ups and downs, peaks and valleys. But um, overall, it obviously ends with a good conclusion. And um, the last thing I remember from these uh, statements is uh, the probation officer uh, recites how many clean tests they've given during the course of their participation in the program. And they're given a, uh, then we give them a certificate and a a veteran's commemorative badge, uh, recognizing that they participated in the veteran's treatment court. 
and uh, usually their family is present, um, and we uh, have them come up, and we give the veteran an opportunity to say what he or she thinks about the program, and uh, usually they're very, uh, you know, uh, appreciative of what uh, the experience has been like for them, and they have very positive comments to those other veterans who are still participating, still working through whatever issues they need to work through. And I think that's a real encouraging thing for the people that are still in the program. It is. And I would also like to say that um, we've now been going for five years. We have quite a number of graduates. And in Sacramento County, our recidivism rate is somewhere around 1% or 2%. Uh, nationwide, I think recidivism uh, in veterans treatment courts is less than 10%. And you need to compare that to uh, the general criminal justice system where recidivism is between 60 and 70%. So um, I think the veterans treatment court is probably the most successful of any court, any collaborative court, uh, in terms of its rehabilitative uh, achievements. No one can argue with the results. They're just absolutely tremendous. And one of the things that occurs at the graduation for our listeners is officially Judge Abbott sponges their charges. The charges are dismissed and the fines and fees are also dismissed. Is that correct, Your Honor? Yes. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Frank. Um, yeah, the uh, probation is terminated. The uh, record of the conviction is expunged. The fines are are waived with the exception of any specific restitution obligation. So if um, harm was caused or damage was inflicted on persons or property resulting in actual costs like medical bills or property damage, uh, the veteran has to uh, pay that and has to reimburse. And most often there's no graduation until that restitution obligation is satisfied. So uh, there is accountability uh, in that in that way. That's outstanding. If you've never been to a veteran treatment court, take the time and go see it. If you are a veteran, give this some serious thought. And if you know a veteran, make sure that they're aware of this. Now, Your Honor, you've given us way more than enough time. I know you have to get back into court. So we appreciate you and everything that you've done. And we'll say goodbye to you here, and we'll bring in Cindy. All right. Thanks so much, Frank. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. Our next guest, thank you. Our next guest is Cindy Baldwin. Cindy's another person who's dedicated her life to serving veterans. She's made it her mission in life to be an advocate for those in need. And she has been employed by the California State Senate on the Veterans Affairs Committee for 20 years. Now, over these years, Cindy has heard many stories of veterans struggling as they try to navigate through the VA, which is not the easiest system to work with, deal with their PTSD, suicide, military sexual trauma, and so many other struggles, so many other struggles. Cindy herself wants to do more for veterans. She doesn't talk the talk. She actually walks the walk. Cindy, welcome to Life Altering Events. Hi, Frank. Thank you for having me on. This is, you have, you're the the, the perfect example of someone who 
has firsthand understanding that PTSD and the trauma of, of, of uh, uh, veterans coming back and trying to re- get back into the, civil, into the civilian sector, it doesn't just affect the veteran, it affects the family. Would you, would you share the story with you and your husband? Well, my husband, he was not a veteran, but he was a police officer, and uh, he committed suicide in 2007. And <clears throat> honestly, I, I wasn't really well-educated back then, as I am now, but uh, when he did commit suicide, I had two children, he had four, and I really made it my mission to show his children, because I know the statistics of suicide and the effects it has on the family, I want to show his children that you can cope well, you know, after such a tragic event, and then, you know, sitting in, in, uh, on the Veterans Affairs Committee and sitting in hearings and hearing our veterans testify, it really became my passion to um, educate myself and others on, you know, this mental health issue that is so rampant with veterans and other, you know, population as well. It's also very common with first responders, police and firefighters. Yes, it is. Very yes, common. Yes, it is. Cindy, you spent your, your life uh, in this area. Why is it so difficult for many veterans to assimilate back into civilian life? You know, they have, in, you know, I first, I really do need to say that I am not a veteran myself. So I, you know, I've never walked in a veteran's shoes but I've been listening to the stories. I've walked in the shoes of having a, a partner commit suicide. Um, so I'm, I'm speaking on their stories that they have shared with me. But, you know, they go over there. They're, they have such a significant role. They may be in a really high leadership role or whatever they may be doing in their time of service, and then they come back here, and that's all gone. They have no meaning, mission, and purpose. And they're kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? Just, you know, me as a mother, when my children moved away, I put all of my identity in that role. And when they all moved out, I I cried every day for Mm -hmm. a good couple months because I didn't know what I was supposed to do anymore. And so some of these veterans, men and women, come back and they don't have a mission. They don't, they don't, they're, they're very lost. And then navigating through the VA or trying to find a job or trying to reconnect with your family after you've been through something that they can't even imagine, you know, they're lost on a lot of levels. Not all veterans, I really need to clarify that, not all veterans are like that, but there's, you know, a good 20% that really struggle when they come back. Most veterans, um, I was not a combat veteran, and most veterans, when they do come back, even, even who did not see combat, they're lost. There was a there was a feeling of, of loss. I was 22 years old. I had run a pediatric clinic in, in a military hospital. I had people working for me. I I had self esteem. I had a purpose, and I got out, and now I was unemployed. And that is very right. difficult to deal with. Right, and that's and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is something that um, I've heard a lot of my veterans say. You know, I wasn't in combat, so I don't even feel I have the I have the right to say I have PTS. Um, so that's a silent population of our veterans that are afraid to speak up. And, you know, there can be traumatizing events in the military, even if you have not gone to combat. And um, I'm glad we talked about that because I want our veterans to feel comfortable speaking about anything they're, they're struggling with. It does not matter if you've been to combat or not. We're here to help.
Exactly. The very few people understand what PTSD actually is, and we're going to have a whole entire show just on PTSD in the future. But how do you engage somebody who's suffering with PTSD? You, you have a profile questionnaire that you've used to help veterans. Would you explain that? So the, I call it a communication survey, and it's not just for PTS. It's for, you know, it's for, you know, it, it's a tool that I love to give to, to my veterans because when they come back, they're, they're, you know, again, trying to find out who they are or they're redefining themselves. A lot of times they come back and they, they're having issues connecting with their family members or they're not getting along with their family members or they're having to, you know, decide what they want to do next in their career. And so this communication survey that I um, give to them as a tool, it measures their traits. And um, it also measures where their stress is in their life. And let's, let's talk about you, Frank. So I have your communication survey here in front of me, and your highest trait is extroversion, so that's why we're here on the radio, because you, you like using your voice. Um, and then your other high trait is pace and patience. And so I can look at this survey and say, you know what, Frank, you'd be really great on the radio. Um, I can talk about your leadership style, because not everybody has the same leadership style. I can talk about... Um, their energy styles, and, you know, I can give you an example. I had a, a veteran that I was mentoring, not from Veterans Treatment Corp, but I was mentoring this veteran, and he and his mom could not get along at all. They just, they just were button heads big time. And so I did both of their communication surveys, and I was able to, to set them side by side and say, look at, look at each of your traits. You guys are both high dominant. You both want the last word. You both, you know like to talk, maybe think about that and be conscious when you're having conversations and give each other the opportunity to speak. Just little nuanced things that I can share through the communication survey teaches my veteran and their family how to do life with ease and not, you know, have that headbutting thing. And um, I think this is fun, Frank, because when your mentee, who is now a graduate, Nate, mm-hmm. um, testified at one of our hearings here in the Senate. He had a few hours in between um, testimony, so he came over to my office, and I did his communication survey. And I put your survey next to his, and you both are very much alike. And Nate made a comment and said, I think that's why I got along so well with Frank. But the other beautiful thing about looking at Nate's, and, and you're going to be able to relate to this, because what is the one thing that Nate does so much? He, he talks. Yes, he does. And it's hard for everybody else to get a word in edgewise, right? Yes, it is. And so the beautiful thing about me during this survey is I, I was able to sit with Nate and say, look, this, your highest trait is extroversion. Everything else is low. You're going to say, you're going to talk, and you're going to talk over all of us, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna rule the conversation. So... What I need for you to do for me right now, Nate, as I interpret this survey for you, this communication survey for you, is I need you to turn on your listening skill. And the beautiful thing about that is now I'm able to word my communication to him without him taking offense to it. I'm not saying, Frank, you talk, or uh, Nate, you talk too much, you, do, you need to be quiet. I need to say, look, I know that this is hard for you to not speak, but please, can you just 
turned on your listening skills and let me share this with you. And he's like, yeah. I mean, it teaches you to communicate in such a way that it's just, it's harmonious. It's a beautiful thing. And like I said, it helps them recognize where they would be comfortable in a professional environment. That's excellent. We have, um, I believe we are coming up on a break here very shortly. So before we get into the next section on dealing with how the state government deals with the Veterans Administration, let's go to a break here. You are listening to life-altering events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. My name is Frank Sakari. We'll be back shortly. Do not miss this segment. We're, showing t- we're, we're talking about treating our veterans and helping them reassemble their lives. We'll be back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Sakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. We are talking with Cindy Baldwin, who works for the California State Senate Veteran Affairs Committee. The, the, the topic of the show has been the Veterans Treatment Court. What is it? How does it help our veterans? We had Judge David Abbott, who is the presiding uh, justice over the Veterans Treatment Court in Sacramento, who gave us an amazing story about how it started and, and the success that it's having. And Cindy, who has spent her entire life focused on 
improving the lifestyle and uh, improving the, 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 not the lifestyle, improving the veterans returning to civilian life and getting them through some of the struggles that you face. Now, Cindy, the, the, the VA, the Veterans Administration, has not received a lot of good press in the last few years. Now, in your role in the state Senate, now they're federal and you're a state, how do you help veterans address these issues with the VA? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question, Frank. And, and, you know, I really want our listeners to understand that, you know, here we here at the California State Legislature, we serve our constituency. And I love it when a veteran picks up the phone and calls my office and says, hey, I'm confused. I can't figure out how to navigate through my GI Bill or I'm not getting the response I need at um the VA, how can you help me? My number one source for my vets is, have you contacted your county veteran service officer? Every county in California and all over the United States has county veteran service officers. They have the ability to pull up a veteran's uh, case. I don't know what, it, what you want to call it. Or if they haven't, they can help them start that. They can see what benefits they have available and the beautiful thing about going through your county veteran service officer is they're trained to make sure every I is dotted and T is crossed. Because sometimes, if it's not, that can be a huge delay. Um, so that's my number one recommendation to my veterans. You know, there's a lot of follow-up I might have with them or I might turn them on to, you know, let's say a veteran calls me and he's in trouble with the law. I can talk to him about Veterans Treatment Court. Is that an option for you? Go research that. You know, I can send them through all different channels um, of help because we have and are, know those resources that are out there that are available to them. Um, and, you know, in the 20 years that I've been on the committee, we have had to work on things and change things and make it better, and we are continuing to do that. And that is our goal, regardless if you're a Democrat or a Republican, we are working for our veterans. And I've seen some amazing things with uh, a, a California state senator picking up the phone after Cindy's talked to them and calling the VA, and gee, all of a sudden things start to happen. Uh, yes, the, the advocacy is tremendous. Now, Cindy, you're, you're such a longtime uh, supporter of veteran issues, and even though you're not a veteran, you are a mentor with the Veterans Treatment Court. In fact, you're the only mentor with the Veterans Treatment Court who is not an actual veteran. Why are you so passionate about this mentor program? Um, before I answer that question, I just want to, uh, you know, say one thing. The, the title of your show is Life-Altering Events, and I really think that you and I had a life-altering event, Frank, when you came into my office, I don't know how long ago that was, and you said, I really want to get involved in helping veterans. And I said, Frank, come and see, you know, Veterans Treatment Court with me. It might be something you're super passionate about. And now you're a mentor in Veterans Treatment Court, and, you know, you're such a gift, Frank. I, I really appreciate that, and I'm glad you... Um, with me that day to do that. Um, the reason that I became so passionate about Veterans Treatment Court years ago when my, when my husband um, died, I um, uh, wanted to, to do something that helped children, so I became a CASA, court-appointed special advocate. 
and got super involved in that. I, you know, was the voice of children in the court that are in the system. I also mentored the parents a lot of times with addiction issues and things like that. And I was, as I was doing this, I thought, what a great program something like this would be for our veterans. And then here we are today. It's happening. And back in December, I was on vacation, and I got a, a, a call from Dale, our mentor's mentor, and he said that they had an issue. He wanted me to come down there, and I said, yay. I jumped you know, in my car and drove down, and we started having a conversation, and Dale asked me if I would become a mentor, and I said, Dale, I'm, I'm not a veteran. He said, but you've got all the resources and tools, and I think you would be you know, a good mentor to um, in, in Veterans Treatment Court. So I've been a mentor since December, and it truly is an honor, and I love having that connection because I can, you know, uh, give the resources that not just my mentee needs, but other mentors or, or other mentees in the in the courtroom. And when I watch these veterans graduate, it just it brings tears to my eyes because I've been watching them fall through the cracks for years. Um, I, there's one veteran that that is incarcerated that got in trouble with the law, um, and for whatever reason, was not um, a candidate for Veterans Treatment Court. And this poor kid, you know, he's stuck in jail for about 12 years. And it's so unfortunate to watch those go through what they go through. And now that we've got this Veterans Treatment Court and we can rehabilitate the veterans, get that charge off the record because it is tied to their service. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's an honor. And I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. What um, tell the listeners what what does it what does a mentor do What do you do with the with the young woman that you are um, assigned to work with So, <clears throat> what I think is great about the the mentor is you know we can go and have a cup of coffee with with our veteran once a week or we can contact you know be on the phone with them and. As we're connecting with our vet, we can recognize things that may, they may not recognize, like maybe they need to, maybe they're having a PTS moment, or, you know, maybe they just need some educational um, counseling. We can connect with the veteran on a weekly, you know, on, on a real personal basis and give them the tools or direct them in the, the direction that they need to go, plus be the support that they need in the courtroom. I can tell you. My mentee, uh, who I'm mentoring right now, she was talking to me about this one person that was on the, that's on the team in the Veterans Treatment Court and how this person made her feel. And I said to her, I said, he's just doing his job. Don't take it personally. This is just this person's job. He has the same desire for your success as I do. And she completely, you know, calmed down and, and let go of that fear, that anxiety she was having, I think the mentors are so significant in the success of the veteran because we can give them the things that they need to hear, the tools that they need that the court can't because they have so many that they're, you know, focusing on. It's a real one-on-one personal thing when with the mentor and the mentee. At times, it it's also gives the, uh, the veteran a safe place to vent. You can, Absolutely. You, you can say things to me or to you that you probably should not say in, in open court or to your attorney or the prosecution, 
but it's it's it, it's an it's an, it's a way for them to say this is what I'm going through this is what I'm feeling I'm upset I'm angry I'm pissed off it's whatever the case might be and then we can have that conversation okay let's relax take a deep breath they, they my uh, I usually try to meet my mentee before court we go to lunch or you know have a cup of coffee and <clears throat> this one day when we met she told me that her sister had passed away and that she was suicidal and I said well you know you need to go to the VA hospital and you need to get some help and she said I know and she and I walked over the court. We let her PO know and the whole team know, you know, where she was at. And everybody, you know, was so sympathetic. Go do what you need to do. Take care of yourself. You know, we're here to support you. I mean, that's how powerful and how supportive the court is. And, you know, I don't know if she would have been able to walk into court and say that, but she was able to say that to me, and I was able to be there with her so we could share that with the court as to why she wasn't going to be in court that day. That uh, that's a very compelling story, and if, again, if you have never been to a veterans treatment court, you're going to see the whole thing is support, the whole thing is encouragement, the whole thing is you are going to get through this, and we're going to be there with you when you get through this. We're down to about three minutes. What I want to do, Cindy, thank you so much for all your input. Uh, thank I you, want Frank. the uh, thank you. The well, I want the listeners to hear some words from a veteran who has graduated from the Veterans Treatment Court. Now, this is a Marine. This is an advanced area Marine. This is somebody who is sent into heavy duty live fire. He was addicted to opioids, which were prescribed to him for pain while he was serving our country. He has a very severe PTSD, a traumatic brain injury, and I've used some of his words in my book called Storm Seeds. I want to just listen to what he had to say. He said to all the other veterans, I am one of you. I have been in and out of rehab more times than I care to admit. Life is hard, and it's certainly not fair. It takes extraordinary courage and strength to navigate through the obstacles that life drops in front of us. Many of us try to navigate these obstacles alone. I don't know why we do that, but I do have a theory. Many of us have, many of us have been hurt or betrayed or abandoned by the very people we depended upon for guidance and support. We no longer have faith or trust in people. As we try to navigate alone, we make wrong choices, we surround ourselves with the wrong people, and this just makes things worse. Now, most of us veterans, or excuse me, most of us addicts, we're not going to change. We do well here in rehab, but once we get out, misery and the addiction is waiting. Most of us will be back in rehab or in jail or found dead on the street. Addiction is an invincible opponent if we try to fight it alone. So I asked for guidance. I joined the Veterans Treatment Court. I asked for grace. I asked for mercy. I didn't expect anything to change, but what harm was there in trying? I bounced off a few walls, but isn't my freedom from my addiction worth it? Now these words should send a chill down your spine, and that's why we have a veterans treatment court, and that's why people like Judge Abbott and Cindy Baldwin are so important to the rehabilitation of our veterans. Well, we are just about out of time here. 
I want to thank Cindy Baldwin and Judge David Abbott for coming on and giving us this update. Again, if you are a veteran or you know a veteran, make sure you have them listen to this show. I will post where you can listen to it on demand. So since we're almost out of time, remember this. No matter what life throws at your way, get up, look up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. Better times and better people will come into your life. As I mentioned, you can hear this on demand. I will post that very shortly. And you are joining us again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Let me leave you with this. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. Thank you for listening. See us next week. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.